So we thought that over the summer would be a great opportunity to get to know some of our church family a little bit better. And hopefully you're doing that in conversations um, at the beginning, at the end as well. But we wanted to take some time during the service just to get to know some of our church family. So if you were here last week, we had Rachel Emerson sharing with us. Um, and this morning we are going to have the lovely Catherine Armstrong. So Catherine, do you want to come and join us at the front? Do you want to give her a round of applause? She'll love that as she, as she comes up. Welcome, Catherine. Catherine's usually up here in a different capacity, so it's great to get to hear you speaking. <laughs> um, Catherine, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, about your family, about what you do when you're not here on a Sunday? Yeah, no problem. Um, so as um, Karen already said, my name's Catherine Armstrong. Um, I'm married to Matt, and in fact, we're married 22 years today, Woo! believe it or not. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have four lovely girls, most of the time. Rose, Sophia, Julia and Olive and uh, I haven't told Matt this but this morning my mum had actually sent me a photograph of our wedding day and uh, said happy anniversary and Julia took a look at it and she says oh if I had seen daddy's hair on that day I would have just said no thanks <laughs> <laughs> and his hair was very neat and short then <laughs> anyway yeah so that, that's my family <laughs> um, and yeah so I'm a mum uh, mainly, um, yeah, look after my girls, spend a lot of time with them and love doing that. Um, I'm also a GP um, and I work part-time. Um, I work both uh, for a practice in the health centre here in Portadown and I also do some sessions in the hospital at the Bone First and the Out of Hours. Um, so that's, that's my... So in I case being a mum of four and working as a GP wasn't enough, you mm -hmm. also head up our worship teams here at Emmanuel. Yes. So you want to tell us firstly, how did you first get involved in kind of music and worship leading in church? Okay. Well, actually, I've been doing playing and singing for since I was small. Um, I know some of us here went uh, to the, church, the Baptist church as children, um, and I was involved in playing piano and singing in the praise team there. So from very young, I have played and sang. Um, whenever um, Matt and I got married and um, we finished our medical degrees, um, we actually moved um, away overseas for a few years to New Zealand. And in coming back from there, um, we joined Shankill uh, Church of Ireland in Lurgan. And as part of that, um, they had opened their new Jethro Centre down at the bottom of the town and started a new evening, Sunday evening service. Um, and there was a guy there called Andy Oakes. And Andy, is some, I don't know if anybody knows him, he's a terrific guy and he's really passionate about worship. And Andy um, was on board there and helping set up the worship team uh, for, for that service. Um, and so I got, uh, he got in touch with me and we, uh, he really was, uh, I suppose, inspirational in helping me um, really learn what worship is. I suppose in a way, growing up you played and sang, but um, whenever we started there in the Jethro, it, it was at a much deeper level. Um, and so he got me involved there. Um, and uh, loved, absolutely loved that. Um, as um, we then had children, and the children were going to school here in Portadown, um, we felt that it sort of God draws closer to Portadown to be in the community, and that's when we joined Upper Van Vineyard, um, and uh, I got involved then in worship there. Um, we were away for a year um, in New Zealand with the kids a few years ago, and that was the sort of transition period for between Upper Van and Emmanuel Portadown forming. Um, and then coming back from there, um, David Dawson was heading up the team here at Portadown. Um, and I stepped back in, having not actually been involved in worship leading for that year we were away, um, and, and got involved in the team. Um, and I don't know how I've managed to fall into the role of heading up the worship team, but here I am. Um, and I love it. Um, it's a fantastic team, absolutely brilliant bunch of people. Um, very blessed. And yeah, that's well, where I am now. <laughs> Do you want to tell us what is really on your heart as we kind of press into worship together as a community at this time? Yeah. Well, I think, as I sort of alluded to with the first question about how did I get involved with worship, I've realised over the years that worship is not just a nice wee song on a Sunday morning, something to do to sort of fill the time in the service. Um, worship is just much, much more than that. Um, and we are just 
it's what a what an amazing privilege to come before God. To He just wants us to He delights in us coming to worship, to sing, to lift our voices to Him, and um, to look up to Him, no matter what our circumstances, whether we're coming feeling good or, like He said earlier, whether we just don't know how much more we have to give. He, he just says, "Come, you know," and we come as we are and we worship together. We met a few weeks ago um, as a team, um, and Al actually came along in that occasion, and we talked a bit about this. Um, and one of the things that really resonated with me, and I think we all felt this way especially as we come into this new building together is that there's great power in worshiping together as a group of people um the, uh, god loves to have us worship together but more than that the devil hates us to worship together he, he doesn't like that so as we raise our voices and as we sing out and as we just lift our eyes to him um that is just wonderful and powerful and i think in our community that can be so powerful as we sort of almost shine as a beacon here um, in church and carry each then carry that into our day-to-day -day lives. Worship's just not a Sunday morning. Um, it's something much more that we bring um, into our day-to-day -day lives. So I think that re we talked about worship as a almost like a, in a battle almost, and that's what we are. We're using that. And I just was standing this morning, because sometimes I'm, you know, at the front and you've maybe the in-ears in and you don't hear as well the whole congregation. But it was amazing, really, just to stand this morning as people were lifting their voices. It was so loud and it was just brilliant. And that is really powerful. And, and God just loves to hear his people worship. So that's my heart as we and our heart as a team, I think, as we move forward. So good. And just so good for us to hear that and to be brought into that. Um, so I just love to take a couple of minutes just to pray for you and pray for the worship team and for us as a community as we kind of press into that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Catherine. Thank you for her heart that you have given her for worship. Thank you for the gifts and the talents and abilities that you have put within her to, to enable her not only um, to play really well, but to carry your heart and to lead other people into your heart of worship. God, I just pray that you would bless her. I pray that you would protect her. God, as she leads, um, as she leads us in battle, as she said, God, I just pray that you would really cover in your protection, God, that you would lead her as she leads us. I just pray, Father, that you would give her just such wisdom and direction and guidance as she leads the worship team. Thank you for each and every one of them, God. Thank you for their willingness to serve, the time and the commitment and the preparation that they put in to be able to lead us so well on a Sunday. We just pray that you would bless them, God, that they would be so enriched as they lead, that it wouldn't take from them, but that you would just pour into them as they lead us. Yeah, God. And for us as a community, God, would you help us to understand worship, the true meaning of it, not just here on a Sunday, but every single day. God, would our entire lives reflect our heart of worship for you, to you. And God, we pray for Al as he comes to speak this morning. Thank you for what he has prepared. Thank you, God, um, for the gift that you have given him to speak and to explain your scriptures in a way that just really resonates. And Holy Spirit, would you just come and prepare our hearts to listen? Would you drop into each of our hearts the thing that you really want to speak this morning, God, that we would go away really knowing that we have heard from you um, in this service? Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Catherine, for sharing. Um, I'm going to hand over to Al. So over the um, summer, we are looking at the Psalms, um, and Al is going to be continuing that series for us this morning. Thank you, Karen. Morning, everyone. Thanks, Catherine. That was great. <clears throat> Our worship teams do a wonderful job, don't they? And um, we want to be um, incredibly grateful and thankful to them for that. Um, can I just say, it's also a thrill of mine to see uh, women in our churches leading and leading from the front. And as we heard even from Rachel last week, not just in our church, but in uh, our culture and where they live every day. And that's an important value of ours to see women re released, not restricted in any way. And, uh, and so it's brilliant just to see them lead us in so many ways this morning already. Um, <clears throat> We're in a series, as Karen says, called Summer Psalms. Um, I know it doesn't feel completely summery. Many of us are trying our best with, um, uh, you know, kind of persevering with the shorts, you know, in faith for the, the clouds to break forth. Um, we were in London for a couple of days last week there, and it was like, it was like there was sun. <laughs> 
It's only like a cross there. It's like, Lord, why can you not just like open up the clouds here, you know, because there is sun behind the clouds. There really is. And uh, we just need to, to see it. But anyway, in this series of the summer, we're looking at the Psalms. And uh, Keith got us off to a great start last week, looking at Psalm 24. And I am going to start. Um, I wasn't quite sure where to go. I was pondering. I love the Psalms. I have many favorites. Um, um, and eventually landed back at Psalm 1. So we're going to start at the very beginning, Psalm chapter 1. It wasn't necessarily always my favorite psalm, but it probably is the psalm that I felt God speak to me the most through over the last few years, and particularly over the last two, three years. And you might have already heard me reference it a few times over the last few years, um, but I just felt there was more in it. That the Lord, Well, there's always more in it, isn't it? It's the Word of God, but well, I felt there was more in it for us to uh, think about this morning. Um, and so while it's, while it's really simple, it's a really simple psalm, it, in some ways it lacks drama, if you like, uh, uh, that in comparison to some of the other psalms. But I feel it's potentially maybe one of the most prophetic psalms for us, particularly in the world in which we're living now. Okay, um, And so let me read it first. Could we do that? Take a bit of time to read it. You can take it out on your Bible or on your phone if you'd like to. Um, <clears throat> try not to go on Facebook, you know, because the Lord might just get really annoyed with you if you do that. <laughs> only, only joking. Um, let's, uh, but you, it's on the screen as well if you'd, if you'd like it to, to see it on the screen, okay? Psalm 1. Let me just pray before we approach the Word of God. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here with us. Thank you for being able to worship you this morning. And Lord, as we approach your holy word, Lord, we ask you to humble our hearts, Lord. We humble ourselves as we submit ourselves to your word, um, to these ancient poems inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, we pray that our hearts would be ready to hear what you want to say to us this morning, that you would speak to us, not even just through what I say, Lord, but as we read your word, what your word sparks and fills inside us. May it be active and living and sharp in us today, we pray. Let these not be words on a page, but we pray that somehow we would internalize these words today. They would become part of us. They would live through us. We would embody these words inside us and through our actions and lives, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let me read it one more time, if you don't mind. Don't mind going back, Johnny. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches, or the Lord knows the way of the righteous, for the way, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Back in um, the end of 2019, coming into the start of 2020, you might have heard me talk about this before, but um, <clears throat> at, the, at the end of that basically decade, going into a new decade, I was seeking the Lord, praying about um, a word for the new decade. And uh, as I was thinking about our churches here in Portadown and Lurgan and what the Lord might want to say, I was readying myself for that big 
kind of word to rally the troops, to inspire everyone, to change the world for a new decade. And I was getting ready for the Lord to speak to me about one of those kind of battle passages or something in David's kind of story or somewhere uh, somewhere in the Bible that have this amazing kind of word that on the first Sunday of January in 2020, I could get up and inspire everybody <laughs> to like take in the nation for Jesus. And um, I was really disappointed because the Lord didn't give me anything like that. To the point where we went into January, I still wasn't quite sure what to say. And um, I was thinking, Lord, this is the opportunity. We've got to seize the moment. This is a new decade. We've got to like, you know, you know, everybody's ready for a fresh bit of motivation and inspiration. And um, I didn't really feel like anything like that was coming. And I'm hopefully mature enough to know now not to make it up. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I felt, I was sitting, I was sitting, actually, I think I was sitting with Phil and the guys, and we were praying and discerning. And I said, guys, I don't really feel I have anything. And they didn't either. And they said, the only thing I'm hearing is some of the words from Psalm 1. Hold your nerve. Be like that tree. Stay rooted. Go deep. And I'm thinking, like, Lord, I know that's, like, important, but it's not really the most inspiring kind of word. I was hoping for something a bit more kind of world-changing. <laughs> I just felt, be like that tree. I was like, oh, God, come on, be like a tree. Is there nothing more that you can give me here than be like a tree? That doesn't sound that like, how do you get up in front of people and say, like, we're about to enter into a new decade? Be like a tree. Yeah? That's not, that's not the best kind of gimmick to start the year uh, with. And um, it didn't feel dramatic enough. And then 2020 started to unfold. It was already feeling pretty volatile at that particular point, if you remember. There was lots of kind of uh, aggro in the public square. There was lots of popular opinion that was being pushed. There was lots of division within our own, con our own country. The, the abortion thing was being kind of like bandied about all over the place in really destructive ways, I believe, on both sides. And it was, it was just angry. And, uh, and I felt like the Lord said, just hold your nerve, be like the tree, go deep. Um, and so I tr we trusted the Lord, not to the point where we actually didn't share any vision at the start of 2020, really. We felt the Lord call us to hold that and, um, and just exercise that word, be, be like that tree, H hold your nerve, go, go deep. And um, as we thought about that more and more, uh, we became aware as 2020 unfolded that we came into the pandemic <laughs> and the uncertainty increased and we were all in lockdown and there was all sorts of confusion, uncertainty, fear, anxiety and all of a sudden these words started to make more and more sense. All of a sudden I started to think, oh maybe I'm a little bit more spiritual than I thought, maybe I can hear God. <laughs> And maybe that these are the words that he wants me and us to hear in this time. Be like a tree that flourishes, not like the wind that's going to go and blow away. And I started to feel like the Lord's saying, oh, some of the stuff that's out there at the moment is just going to blow away. It feels really pronounced at the minute. It feels really strong. Some of the opinions feels like they're holding sway at the minute, but actually... Some of this stuff is just going to blow away like the chaff. You hold your ground. You be like that tree. You go deep into me. And as I reflect on these unforgettable and turbulent couple of years that we've lived through, I come to realize that what if our primary witness to the world at the moment is not winning arguments in the public square? What if our primary witness at the moment is not even our busy activity as the church? What if our primary witness to the world at the moment is our ability to stand firm, and not just to stand firm, but to bear fruit when everything else is angry and blowing around us and blowing in our faces even, and yet the words of the psalmist are, these things are going to blow away like the chaff, but the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who 
as we'll see now as we go into it, as, as he delights, as he, as he, as he takes, anchors himself in the word of God, he will be one that will bear fruit. This is what I want to suggest is uh, true spiritual authority. And I think as we go forward in this next season in our church life, but also more broadly in the culture, I think what we're going to realize is that spiritual authority is the thing that's going to cut through in the complexities of the context that we find ourselves in. We are living in a totally, totally different world, right? We're, so much is changing in so many ways, and we're being called to be those who walk with true spiritual authority. And I think when we open our mouths, if we've been like these people who the psalmist says, Meditate on the law day and night to become trees that bear fruit in due season. I believe that we will find our voice as a church in new ways. Maybe not the ways that we found ourselves before or maybe not in the methods of the ways we did it. But people will listen when we speak because when everything else is blowing around, we will be those who bear fruit. Let's uh, get into the psalm a little bit more. And then we come back to this theme of spiritual authority. But hopefully that helps just by way of introduction. Psalm 1 that we just read, most people and most scholars actually believe Psalm 1 was written at the very end. So after these other 149 Psalms were compiled, that then Psalm 1 was written as a kind of prologue, as an introduction into all the other Psalms that, are going to, that have been written that describe every emotion that we go through in life, every circumstances that we could think of, grief and pain and victory and despair, and all these different types of things that we could imagine going on in and around our lives that the Psalms give voice to and make prayer for us, then the, the Psalm chapter 1 is written as a way of introducing us to this. As Keith reminded us last week, the Psalms were a bit like the hymn book for the church, or the people of Israel, I should say. They were written to aid their worship, poems and hymns that were written to help them be formed and to help them come into conversation with God. They weren't to be read technically necessarily or objectively in that sense. They were to, to be entered into the Psalms or, or rather the Psalms were to enter into the people so that they could be prayed back to God and that they would learn how to be in conversation with the God who wants to speak. This is how the Psalms are written. It's helpful to think of the Psalms uh, as an aid to their worshipful life. I don't know if you're aware or not, but the first five books of the Bible are often called the Torah, right? And the Torah, we're going to come back to that word in a minute. The Torah, is, it's kind of untranslatable because it means different things. It generally refers to the first five books of the Bible because it can mean law, but it means a little bit more than that. It means teaching or learning or guidance in a particular direction. And so there was five books of the Torah, and um, that was God's instruction for how the people were to live. But then as well as having the five books of the Torah, there are five books of the Psalms. Now, we get 150, but if you leaf through your Bible, you will see book one. I think around chapter 39, 40, it's book two. And then if you keep going through, you'll see that it's split up into five particular books. So, so the, the, the number five is quite significant here, as you can see. And so there's five books of the law, and then there's five books of the Psalms. And it's like the Psalms are like the way that we sing God's law. It's how they become part of us. It's how, how they poetically and more imaginatively take the law and make it part of our life. The, the, the Bible's really, really fascinating book, as you know, in many different ways. But, you know, we, we tend to have quite um, straight and flat kind of objective and scientific and rational descriptions of things, whereas the Bible is a story that is both narrative of it, the story of the journey of the children of Israel, woven in with law and instruction altogether. And so you have that in the Torah, but then in the Psalms, you have words that kind of bring it to life, that help make it part of who we are in our everyday lives and help us to internalize God's law. So it's not just words on a page, but it becomes part of us and we're able to sing it. And the word five, Eugene Peterson's brilliant in this. He talks about how the word, or the number five, sorry, reminds us of our of our five fingers. And what, what do we do with our hands? We, we clasp them together and we, 
and we pray. And so we think of the five books of the law, the five books of the Psalms, and they come together in this praying worshipful life that we internalize. And you have to remember, too, that Jesus would have prayed the Psalms. Jesus probably learned the Psalms off by heart. That was what shaped Jesus' life. Looking around the room, most of you are of the vintage that the thing that probably, if you were brought up in the church, shaped your life was the mission praise. Anyone remember mission praise? You know, the good old, like, you know, number, whatever, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, and all of those other great songs, right? Well, Jesus's mission praise was better than mission praise. It was the Psalms. That's what shaped him and formed him. He learned them. He prayed them. He would have prayed them with his brothers and sisters. He would have prayed them at night with his mom and his dad, and they became part of who Jesus was, and they became part of the Israelite tradition. And so someone once said, the, the Bible was written to us, but the Psalms were written for us. And that's quite a helpful little way to think about it. The Psalms are written for us to become part of us, to train us in conversation with God who wants to be in connection with us. And so I say all that to say, Psalm 1 is in a sense introducing us to this incredible resource of the next 149 Psalms that help us realize that God wants to connect with us. And Psalm 1, as we read it, and as we'll see again in a moment, it anchors us, it draws us in, it kind of funnels our distracted, scattered lives, and it funnels them into the praying world of engaging with the God who is in every season of life and helps us connect with Him. It gathers us. I love the words of Lectio 365, the 24-7 resource that goes out every morning. As I enter prayer now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. To recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. That's what Psalm 1 is doing. It's pulling us out of this world where we've got all this distraction and all this noise, and it's channeling us into the praying life and the great resource that the rest of the book of Psalms are. Now, the psalm itself is shaped. Uh, it's sometimes known as a wisdom psalm, and it's setting, and that's because it's in line with the wisdom tradition in the Bible, okay? So I'm getting you a wee bit of background stuff here. I hope that's okay for those of you who like a little bit of geeking out on really juicy Bible stuff, right? So you've got the law, and you've got the prophets, and then you've got the wisdom tradition, and the wisdom tradition is Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, right? And it brings more nuance to the, the law. Some of the law stuff you read in the face is quite black and white, doesn't it? Like, you know, and then you've got things like Job. So you've got like, you know, in some of the wisdom tradition, which this psalm does, it contrasts two ways of life. It contrasts a way that a good way where the righteous will be paid back and an evil way for where the wicked will be paid back. And then you've got Job <laughs> in the middle of that going, well, actually, God, it feels like the opposite. It feels like the good are the ones that get the suffering, and the wickeds are the ones that don't. You know, and you get that a bit in the Psalms as well. So if you just did the law and a bit of the prophets, we'd be struggling a bit, wouldn't we? But that's why we've got the law, and we've got the prophets, and then we've got the wisdom tradition. And this is like a wisdom psalm. But it, it is leaning into this sort of narrative that comes through in the law, that there is a way of life and there's a way of death. At the end of the Torah... The end of the five books is the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 30, it says this. You'll have maybe heard this verse. Moses says to the people, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. So it's like, it's your choice. God says, here's all I've done for you. I've taken you out of Israel. I've given you the law. And now I set before you two ways that you can walk. One that's going to lead to life and prosperity. The other, it's going to lead to death and destruction. This is the way ancient Israel understood life. Lots of ancient religions believed in that as well, by the way. And this psalm kind of leans into that tradition. So it's saying, here's the wicked and what's going to happen, but here's what will happen with the righteous. But it brings it to life a bit more poetically, because that's what the psalms do. There's the image of people walking or standing or sitting in the way of the ungodly, and then there's the image of a tree planted by streams of water. We see those two ways. And it starts with the word blessed. 
Blessed is the man or woman, and blessed is a Bible word. <clears throat> Let's take a moment to look at this word blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? It, we, these words get overused in the church, don't they? They start to lose their meaning. But blessed is, um, it, it gets a bit trite and a bit sort of sentimental, doesn't it, in the church? It's like a, oh, bless you, you know. Um, it's like a nice little word. But actually, blessed, to be blessed is a Bible word. It's a pregnant with gospel meaning. It's a deep word. And when, and when it says blessed, it's getting at the idea of, happiness. Now, not superficial happiness, but like happiness of soul, like the surprising sense of, wow, I've got favor on my life. I'm living and receiving the favor of God. It's like wholeness. People want to be blessed. Jesus picks up on that word, doesn't he? He uses the word blessed in Matthew chapter 5. He talks about, and talks about it a lot, but he talks about it particularly in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor and spirit, and so on, and so forth. And the Psalm 1 goes on to describe how and what a blessed man or woman looks like. And it first of all focuses on the negative side of the coin. So in other words, it's blessed, what, this, what the person should not do in order to be blessed. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. It's like a neat little sequence, isn't it, that the psalmist has, walking, sta walking standing, sitting. See, so first of all, you're walking in bad company. And what, what I would like to say is, it's not, I don't think, necessarily just speaking about individuals that you need to stay clear of here. It's speaking about a way of thinking, a train of thought, uh, a way, the spirit of the age, I think, is what it's talking about here, not just bad individuals, although that might be implied as well. It's, it's more a way of thinking. And so what I think is really instructive for this about this psalm is, first of all, you just begin walking with it. You get in step. And I have to say, and it grieves me, I have lots of friends that would probably still call themselves Christians that would have some kind of faith, but just slowly but surely, they haven't necessarily done anything really bad, but they've just got in step with the spirit of the age. They're just walking in the counsel of the ungodly. They're listening to things. They're picking things up. And the thing about it is it's counterfeit stuff because some of it has a veneer of it being Christian or it having the values of Christianity connected to it. But they've started to walk in the counsel of, they're in step, not with the Holy Spirit, but with a different kind of spirit. And it's leading them in a certain direction. And the problem is when you start to walk with it, eventually you'll end up standing with it. And when you stand with it, eventually you'll end up sitting down amongst it. And then you're residing in it. And um and God, I believe, is exposing that in the church at the moment, and he's exposing that around the world. And he's even exposing many Christian leaders that have found themselves caught up in that as well. But then the psalmist shifts direction, and he says, so blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the spirit of the age or the counsel of the ungodly, but blessed is the one who... who Keep, who is in step, not with that kind of spirit, but with the spirit of the law of God, the word of God. So we're back to this word Torah now, because Torah is a word for law. So blessed is the one whose delight is in the instruction or the teaching or the guidance of the Lord. And then it goes further to say that this delight is connected to meditating on Torah, to meditating on God's words, De and night. The word meditate in vogue today, a little kind of like look over the papers today, if you read them, I'm sure you'll see some particular pop stars, whoever, they're all into meditating now. Um, but the Bible understanding of meditation is always connected to God's word. In the Hebrew, the word is this word, haga. I think that's how you say it. And I'll explain why there's a line in the background in a moment. But this word, haga, is the word for meditate on God's word. 
And it gets at the idea of a bodily action. So meditate is far too tame a word, basically, in our English translation. Um, Because when we think meditate, we think, you know, put all the lights off and just listen to some classical music and light a candle. Let all your thoughts go into a box. Or we think, you know, what we do after we go for like a massage in the spa, that then we'll kind of meditate or we'll, you know, just get in touch with nature, right? But that's not what meditation is about in this particular context. It actually means a low muttering sound in Hebrew. And so, again, Eugene Peterson does a brilliant job with this, where he talks about how he understood the word totally different when he realized that the same word for meditate is found in a verse in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4, where it talks about a young lion who growls over its prey. Right, that's very different to just lighting a candle and listening to some worship music, isn't it? But if you can imagine a lion growling over its prey, thinking that it's about to get a feast, and once it gets it, it takes it into a corner, away from everybody else, and it chews on it, and it swallows it, and it chews on it a little bit more, and then it swallows it, and then it chews. I know it sounds a bit disgusting, right? But it actually gets to the idea of, you know, when a cow, to talk about chewing the cud, where it actually chews on it, swallows it a bit, sort of brings it back up again. I know it's awful, like, but, you know, you know, do you know when your kids say, I just think of a little bit sick in my mouth. Ugh! Well, anyway, it's a little bit like they regurgitate. That's the word I'm looking for. They bring it up a bit, chew it again, swallow it. It's a sense in which that's what we're supposed to be doing when we meditate on God's word. We chew it and we swallow it. We chew it and we swallow it. We savor it. Maybe some of you have a dog and maybe now and again you give it a bone and you watch it just salivate over the bone and lick it, and chew it, and make it part of who they are. This is what it means to meditate in God's Word. And without sounding sensationalist this morning, can I just, can I just tell you this? That will change your life. Honestly, that will change your life. Learning how to meditate on God's Word. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands, and I don't mean this like I'm speaking to myself first. I don't, I don't mean this as a critical thing or anything to make us feel guilty. But I just love us I love to ask a question. How many of us do that? How many of us meditate, chew on the word of the Lord? How how many times do we find ourselves chewing, swallowing, chewing, swallowing on the word of God? I was thinking about this this week and I honestly not just because I'm preaching on this this morning. I honestly mean this. If there was one thing as a pastor, as your pastor, if I can call myself that, if there was one thing I could die happy knowing I had done, above everything else, would be helping you learn how to meditate in God's Word. More than preaching good sermons, more than being a nice kind of pastor that comes and visits you, if I could die knowing that I had learned, had taught people how to meditate on God's word, then honestly, I would die happy because that will change your life. It will change everything about you. It'll change how you understand. And then the Bible says, then you will be blessed meditating on God's word. This quote again from Eugene Peterson. Sorry, it's like the Eugene Peterson show this morning. Scripture without prayer has no soul. We're not supposed to like, you know, just learn the scripture so we can sound like we know it and we're like really kind of holy or something. No, no, no. We're supposed to pray the word of God. We're supposed to make it part of a scripture which without prayer has no soul. Prayer without scripture is no substance. Yeah. And so, again, I'm just I'm being challenged in here for a few moments. Is that okay? Is that, is that okay? Okay. Doesn't sound like it. Anyway. Can I just, if you're not, if you're not meditating on God's word, if it's not part of your daily staple diet, you're spiritually weak. You have very little spiritual authority. The enemy, in some ways, you're, you know, doesn't really even need to bother because there's no real spiritual authority to 
bite back because he's not really that scared. Our spiritual muscles are weak. I have learned how to do this, and I'm still learning. But here's the, the cookies are right on the bottom shelf, right, because that's where we have to start. I have a book at home. Um, a number of years ago, I took, I took a, so it was a red jotter. I read through the Psalms every day, at least one Psalm a day. And here's what I did. I wrote one word from that Psalm. Big. I maybe wrote one verse. So Psalm 1, or maybe wrote a verse that stood out, and then I wrote one word. So I may have written the word meditate, for example. And I wrote it really big in capital letters, and I did a big square or circle around it, whatever it is. And I just then went into my day. And then well, throughout my day when I was a bit distracted or I had time to think about something else or was driving the car, then I would think about that word. Now, here, here's what I'm saying is you can do that. That is simple. That, that is not a difficult thing to do. You could do that if, if you've never done this before. You could just write one word from one verse that you read that day and learn how to meditate on it. And I have learned to do that. And here's what I want to say to you. I have learned to do that not because I'm a pastor. I have learned to do that because I'm a dad. And sometimes I'm not very good at it. And I'd like to be more loving and more compassionate. I do it because I'm a husband, right? And the odd time, the very odd time, I can be a wee bit contrary, right? And we, and we can have the odd argument, right? And I, I don't want, I, and of course that's always going to happen to an extent, but I, I want to become more like Jesus in these ways. So I don't read, I don't, I don't meditate in God's word because I'm a pastor and I have to. That, to be honest, is probably one of the last reasons why I do that. I do it because I'm a person, I'm a human being who I believe was created to be more like Jesus and the primary relationships in my life, I want to become more like him in and I want to fulfill my purpose and my destiny in him and therefore I do it because I need to do it. I do it because some days my mental health isn't great and some days I feel the torment of the enemy in my mind and some days I struggle with the loss of my flesh. Or sometimes I find myself starting to get a little bit greedy. And so I, I meditate on God's word because I need it to change me. Sometimes I am a person who's interacting with other people, not just in church but outside church, and sometimes they annoy me and I don't want to forgive them. So what do I need to do? I need to meditate on God's word because it's the power that's going to change and transform who I am. And so as I bring this into the last five five, ten minutes or so, just as I bring this to a close. I want to finish with three, three things that kind of summarize what I'm trying to say. Blessedness, first and foremost, comes from holy delight. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. I just, at the end here, I'm going to pray. If there's some of us here this morning that you've just found the word of God feels like a bit stale to you, your best prayer this morning could be, God, just help me to fall in love with your word me to fall in love with your word again. Forgive me for just getting, allowing it to become just like another book. But help me to delight in your word. Help me to delight in your word. Because blessed is the one who delights. You know, I, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts recently, and there's this one Rachel put me on to. It was really interesting. Um, and a few other people have mentioned that high-performance podcast. And then, so I was listening to this podcast with Johnny Wilkinson, who won um, the World Cup with England almost 20 years ago. Just frightening kind of perfectionist. Was able to kick all those goals. Just, you know, just spent hours and hours every day doing it. And he's had a bit of an epiphany. And he's not that kind of person anymore. And it's really, really interesting listening to him talk. But the reality is, all the language that he used, he's talking about being reborn. He's talking about not being defined by his performance or by his achievements. He's talking about having a curiosity in life and being present in the moment. He's talking about all these things. That, that, I'm going to myself, it's amazing to hear you talk like that, but that's all in the Bible. That's all the ancient wisdom that was written in the Bible over 2,000 years ago. People are searching for blessedness. And the guys that are listening to them are all like in awe, as if this is some new amazing revelation. You're kind of like, it's just, it's just different ways of saying what actually every human being is searching for, which is meaning and significance and a way of feeling blessed 
a way of knowing the good life, the happiness of what it is to have your soul alive. And what this is telling us is, blessed is the one whose delight is in God's word, in God's wisdom, in God's instruction for life. And so we, we need to pray that the Lord gives us a holy delight for his word. The next thing it says is this holy delight is reinforced by holy rhythms. So, and on his law, he meditates on his law day and night. So his delight is in the law, but because his delight is on the law, he meditates on it day and night. Again, you know, for many of us and for this generation growing up, what we meditate on day and night is our phone. That's what we chew on. That's what we swallow. That's what we chew on. That's what we swallow. What does Facebook say first thing in the morning? What does Facebook say last thing at night? You know, what does BBC News say first thing in the morning? What does it say last thing at night? That's, that's what we meditate on. And I'm not saying it's wrong to want those things. I'm just saying is we meditate on that more than we meditate on the law of God. And that doesn't mean you have to read 14 passages every day. Just like I said earlier, it could be one word. Just allow ourselves to be changed and transformed. Glenn Packham says this, a rhythm, I think it's on the screen as well, John. A rhythm is how we reinforce the desire. I love that. So how we reinforce our desire and our delight is by developing rhythms that allow us to meditate on the law day and night. We, we need this. Our world needs it. We need it more than the latest podcast. We need it more than even the latest Christian book. We need to meditate on the law, allow it to be active and formed in us. We're being formed too much as a culture and as a church by popular opinion and not by the word of the Lord. And so if we allow holy desire to be shaped by holy rhythms, the result will be holy ground. We will be people established on holy ground, but we will be people wherever we go. <laughs> We've sanctified the space around us so we become holy ground to others. And so what happens is, as the psalm goes on, the action of meditating on God's law leads to an image. And so an action leads to an image. Meditating on God's law leads to the image, and the image, as we've been referring to, is this tree that bears fruit that's not withering but prospering. A tree that everyone would know there must be a source to this because it's the thing that's bearing fruit. So how is this tree standing alone, bearing fruit, that the secret or the source must be that it's near life-giving water. A, holy, a life of holy delight and holy rhythms is depicted as a river giving life to those who are positioned beside it. This is the blessed life. This is the alive life. This is the stunning holy way to live, and people will see this blessedness in your life. This is the holy ground we establish ourselves on. The Psalms were compiled when the children of Israel were in exile. And when they were in exile in Babylon, the Babylonians cut like an irrigation canal through the, uh, through the desert, which where most of the exiles were deported. And so can you imagine the imagery in their mind when they're in this kind of desert plain and all they see is a river and they think about the tree that's situated beside the river is the one that gives fruit. And this is the life that God wants for his people, a life that bears fruit. We've talked about it a lot. We've mentioned this phrase, people that carry a non-anxious presence in the world. We're dealing with not just a, the global pandemic of COVID, but the aftermath of an anxiety pandemic all over the world. And the best thing in many ways that we can offer the world is the people who carry the non-anxious peace of the God who rules the universe, who holds it all in the palm of her ha his hands and holds us. And so we're left with a, a kind of desire, or sorry, we're left with a choice. And the question is what our desire is. Do we want to be a well-rooted, immovable tree that bears fruit and prospers? Or do you want to be like the chaff? Like what even, what even is chaff? It's just nothingness meaningless is empty and ultimately it will blow away these are weird weird days that we're living in and they seem to be getting weirder even in the uk where we're even the last week of more instability political divides counterfeit theologies fake news economic crisis environmental crisis health crisis multiple crises going on all over the world lots of noise lots of opinion but can i say opinion is cheap 
opinion is really cheap, and yet it's louder and angrier and more forceful than it's ever been. But opinion is cheap, and here's the thing, most of it is going to blow away. It's going to blow away like the chaff. But those who meditate on God's law will be like this well-watered tree. And so I want to encourage us as I finish off, in the midst of all that's swirling around us, it's those whose presence feels like something unshakable and immovable because of where and how they're situated that I think will carry the authority, the spiritual authority, that God is calling his church to into the next season. And we see that throughout the Bible. Joseph, Esther, Daniel. These weren't like good wee boys just trained in Sunday school that spoke at the front of the church. These were, these were men and women who lived in pagan society, that lived in the middle of the empire, but embodied something of the non-anxious presence of God in such a way that they shaped and changed nations. Spiritual authority is what cut through all the complexities of the world that we're living in. Maybe the way that we take ground, as we like to say in charismatic circles this year, or over the years, maybe the way that we take ground is first and foremost learning how to hold our ground, holding our nerve, being a non-anxious presence in the midst of all the noise, going deep into the presence of God. And what if, as a people here in Portadown, God has situated us here beside a river, a river that has been known for division, a river that has been known for death, a river that has had some of the most worst atrocities over the last four or five hundred years that you could ever dream of. And what if here in Portadown, Jesus is calling a people to come together, to be situated beside another river? that rewrites the story of this existing river, Ban, that we would be a people that draw up life from the river of God because we've learned not how to be clever, not how to be the most intellectual. We've learned how to be people who meditate on the law day and night, who have a delight reinforced by a rhythm, so that the ground that they stand on and the ground that they carry around them is holy ground. Holy, holy ground, sanctified space that other people want to come and taste the fruit of because it's a fruitful tree, prosperity and fruitfulness of their lives. And, uh, and that's what I believe that the Lord wants to call us to this morning. I'm going to pray as we finish. I just really feel we're going to have um, people at the front who will be willing to pray for you, part of the prayer ministry team, right at the very end. I just have a sense as I was speaking there that there may be one or two this morning, maybe more, but just, just going to leave this for one second. If you just feel like you, f you need to respond to this word this morning, that you just would love the Lord to rekindle your delight for his word this morning. Before I pray, just for a couple of seconds, would you stand? Because I'd love to pray for you.